Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee was captured by the Lord Jesus as a young man of 19 in his native land of China. He consecrated his life to preach the gospel and later labored side by side with Watchman Nee for parts of three decades. The Life Study of the Bible is a significant contribution to the heritage of Bible exposition, and we're delighted to be able to bring short portions of this spoken ministry to you on today's broadcast. Before we join today's program, we would like to offer you our free monthly newsletter, The Hearing of Faith. To receive your free copy, just call 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That number again is 1-888-543-3788. Now, let's join today's life study. Is grace just something you call amazing when you sing that famous song? Or do you experience grace to the extent that you call it my grace, as the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7? Do you really know what it means to magnify Christ in your daily life, as Paul did in Philippians 1.20? Or is Christ just a doctrine to you that never makes it out of your Sunday morning service, Well, we hope you all are experiencing the marvelous, personal, and saving Christ day by day in an intimate way. If you are, you'll really enjoy today's program because it's very much on this experiential side. If you're not, we also encourage you to stay tuned because we think you'll be attracted to a deeper experience of Christ. Joining us today for a slightly different program is Dick Taylor. Dick, welcome back to our broadcast. Thanks very much, Chris. You said slightly different, but I would say most, most wonderful. Yes, different and most wonderful. Uh, Different only in this extent. We have uh, very short portions of Witness Lee today. We had uh, audio quality that was uh, a bit diminished, so we have uh, shortened up those portions. But there's plenty here, Dick, to occupy us. And uh, the Lord joining us in this control room will have uh, ample opportunity to minister these riches as we've enjoyed them and received them ourselves. We surely will. Dick, we have four words that we want to look at today in Philippians chapter 1. And these were words that Paul used in a very, as we're going to see, experiential way. These words, particularly today, grace, salvation, the Spirit, and Christ. Each of them points to a deeper experience and enjoyment of Christ, don't they? They really do. I have to thank the Lord from the bottom of my heart, Chris, for bringing me under this ministry and opening these four words to me like never before in my entire experience. When I hear these four words right now, even as you were speaking them, there's about a million zillion hallelujahs going off in my being because grace is totally different. Salvation is totally different. The Spirit is totally different. And Christ is too super and wonderful. Dick, many Christians, uh, and maybe we would put ourselves in that category at different points in our Christian life, fall into the habit of taking things for granted in reading the Bible. When we come to these terms, uh, the ones particularly we're on today, like grace and salvation and the Spirit and Christ, we may have a doctrinal understanding of these terms, but do we have an apprehension of them, similar to Paul as he describes them in chapter 1? 
The first one, let's look at it, grace, and particularly when we see it in verse 7, it's presented in a very specific way, and you'll see what I mean, Dick. Even as it is right for me to think this concerning you all, because you have me in your heart, since both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all fellow partakers with me of my grace. What does Paul mean here, Dick, when he uses this very specific phrase, my grace? I love this term, Chris. I know you do, too. And it's so good to see in this book, several times Paul uses this phrase, my, 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 with another word. Here he says, my grace. Another time he says, my salvation. And in chapter 4 he says, my God, indicating that grace, salvation, God are not just objective to him, but someone that he's possessing, enjoying, and experiencing. So it is with grace. The definition of grace that I had growing up as a Christian many years ago was merely unmerited favor. I think many believers have heard this definition. It's not wrong, but we have to admit it is totally inadequate. Grace is much more than unmerited favor. Grace is the very God embodied in Christ Jesus and realized and experienced as the wonderful life-giving spirit inside of us, in our spirit, as our enjoyment, as our portion, as our everything. One definition that our brother Lee's given is, grace is God in Christ as the Spirit coming into us to be our life and our life supply for our enjoyment. I love this. Mm -hmm. Grace is not something that merely God gives. Grace is himself in his Son as the Spirit coming to us to be experienced by us and enjoyed by us as our life and life supply. Even this very moment, Chris, isn't it good that you and I could be experiencing God as grace? So that no longer grace is just a theological term with a theological definition, with an objective definition, but grace is God himself in Christ as the Spirit being experienced and realized and enjoyed by us so that grace could be my grace. Just like Paul said, grace was his grace, my grace. As Paul was defending and confirming the gospel, many rose up to persecute him, even imprison him. And you can just see what happened. He was thrown into prison. He was put under many difficult situations and environments and pressures, but He just kept enjoying the triune God in the situation. He may not have even been delivered from some of the things that he was put into, but in the midst of it, he experienced and enjoyed the triune God as his grace. Therefore, grace was not just a definition to him, not an objective term, but really he said, grace is my grace. That's God enjoyed and experienced by me in the midst of and under any circumstance so that Christ would be testified and magnified and lived. Dick, let's join Witness Lee for the first portion today. This first one, he will talk about the process that God has gone through to become such an enjoyable, intimate, personal grace to us. What is grace? What is Paul's grace? That is the very God, not in an objective sense but in a very subjective, experiential sense. Grace is just God the Triune, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
through the process. Today, our time God, he has been processed Amen. through incarnation, Amen. through crucifixion, Amen. and through resurrection. Before incarnation, God was not processed. Who can deny that incarnation is a process? Isn't incarnation a process? And who can deny crucifixion leading to resurrection and resurrection leading to ascension? Are all these steps not process? He's here. He's ready for you and me to take and to enjoy. This is great. Uh, Dick, he just presented us with a concept or a thought in some terms maybe that we uh, and our listeners might not be that familiar with. Let's talk about God who has been processed, not how we normally think of God. And then how does it connect to what Paul is talking about here, partaking of his grace? It's so good, Chris, to see John one seventeen. There it says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and reality came through Jesus Christ, this wonderful person. Well, the law is just something given. Moses gave the law, but it was lifeless. It is a testimony of what God is like, but it can't do anything. It just exposes us. But grace is somebody wonderful. That is God, the triune God, coming to us, coming to be experienced and enjoyed by us. And the first stage of his coming to us is surely incarnation. Until God became a man, till the infinite God became a finite man, and the eternal God became a man in time, God had not been processed. He had not taken that step to come to man in that kind of way. But even after being with man on this earth 2,000 years ago, as the God-man Jesus Christ, he told the disciples, it's expedient for you that I go away. What did he mean by this? He meant I have to go through more steps. I have to go through more of a process because my desire is not just to be with you. Like it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Right. But his desire was to come into us so that he could be experienced, realized, appreciated, enjoyed by us to the uttermost. This is grace. This is the processed triune God, meaning God taking step after step after step. No longer the objective God, but somebody that we actually really experience in our daily life. So incarnation is really a process. Human living was surely a process, a big step. How about crucifixion? Wasn't that a big step, Chris? How about resurrection? What a big step, ascension. And now this wonderful one has become the all-inclusive life-giving spirit. In John 7, the Lord stood in the middle of a feast and he shrieked and he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And then uh, he said to them, Whoever believes into me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That means his desire was that we would experience him and enjoy him as the flowing, wonderful, experiential triune God. Then in verse 39 of chapter 7 of John, he says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. But the Spirit was not yet. It means Christ himself, as the very embodiment of God, needed to go through a long process. Eventually, he is referred to in the Bible, in the New Testament, as the Spirit. This means the triune God has been processed through many steps to be made available to be experienced, 
enjoyed, realized, and even apprehended by us. This is wonderful. So we have to say, again, a million zillion hallelujahs for the triune God who's processed, he's consummated, he's become the life-giving spirit so that he could get into us, be enjoyed by us, and we could refer to him, as Paul does, as my grace. Hmm. Dick, let's go on to our second term today, and that's salvation. We're still in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, For I know that for me this will turn out to salvation, or as the King James says, my salvation, through your petition and the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We had my grace, Dick. Now we have my salvation. Let's go back to Witness Lee. What is my salvation? What does it mean this kind of happening to me? should turn out to my salvation. What can salvation is? You have to learn to say salvation is not of only one kind. Too many kinds of salvations. What kind of salvation? It always depends upon what kind of situation you are in. If you are under God's judgment, you need that kind of salvation. If you are under Satan's hand, and you need that kind of salvation. If you are under a bad temper, you need that kind, a certain salvation. You have to realize grace is just our salvation. Whatever Paul enjoyed of God, that became his salvation. When he was in prison, he was rejoicing. Amen. The God never heard him weeping. He was rejoicing. Not only joyful, rejoicing, making some voice. This is the very grace which was God himself enjoyed by Paul to be his salvation. This is his salvation. This is my salvation. And this salvation of mine is just the very grace which is God himself for my enjoyment. My grace is my salvation. And my salvation is just God becoming a personal, living, direct rescue to me. Not to rescue me out of the environment, but to sustain me to uh, get on top of this kind of environment. Dick, I really love this point. Uh, We mentioned this the other day, but I think it's worth coming back to. When Paul wrote this, certainly he had been saved in one sense for many years by now. But here he is in prison, and he's talking about this environment, this circumstance turning out to his salvation connecting it to grace, connecting it to this bountiful supply of the Spirit. Again, we have a new thought for many people, more than one kind of salvation. What is this really talking about, Dick? This is great, Chris. It means that we're not only saved eternally from the lake of fire by believing in Christ and being released from under the judgment of God, but also we can experience Christ as our salvation in many ways from many things, even to the point where we become like him. We would be saved to that extent. I was thinking of uh, Romans 5.10 where it says, through his death we're reconciled to God. Right. But much more we will be saved in his life. Well, that salvation there is not just referring to 
believing in Christ initially and being freed from God's condemnation and judgment with the lake of fire. But rather, this salvation is something that we can experience daily, moment by moment, very experiential to the point where salvation becomes, like Paul said, my salvation. We have to refer to his experience in prison. I love uh, Acts 16.25. It says, And about midnight, while praying, they sang hymns of praise. They should have been complaining, murmuring, reasoning, uh, very discouraged, bummed out. But instead, they were really enjoying Christ as their grace, who was really their salvation. This shows my grace and my salvation are very synonymous in many ways. The more we enjoy Christ as our grace, the more we experience him as our salvation. So both grace and salvation now have become my grace, my salvation. Well, you know, on the freeway and in our daily life, there are so many things that get to us and uh, we could just be put to shame. But as we're rejoicing in the Lord, receiving him as our grace, we enjoy him also as our salvation. I can tell you story after story. We don't have the time. But oh, how precious that God himself is not only our grace, he's also our salvation. Dick, there are two other terms that appear in this chapter that we want to touch on today before our time escapes. And we hear these both in verse 19, which we've already been talking about in terms of salvation. But the verse finishes this way. Through your petition and the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20 and 21, Paul says, Even now, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether through life or through death. Dick, I want to come back for a moment uh, and pick up something you said early in the program about the Spirit, and uh, particularly when you were talking about John 7. Dick, that was really wonderful as you explained the Spirit becoming something so experiential in us. As we look at verse 19 again, Paul says, This shall turn out to my salvation through your petition and the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So once again, not something objective and doctrinal, but very experiential related to the Spirit, right? That's true, because usually our thought, Chris, is that if we're put into prison, we would just pray to God, get me out of here. Right. But Paul didn't pray that way. He just enjoyed the triune God in that situation. So this, again, confirms the fact that God has gone through a process. He's taken many steps so that he today could be available to us as the wonderful life-giving spirit. And when we believed into him, he actually came into us. Now this wonderful Christ as the spirit is right with our spirit. We just need to enjoy him. Of course, the Bible makes it clear the best way to enjoy Christ as the spirit in our spirit is to call on his name. We encourage all of you who are listening to practice, even if you're in your car, in your kitchen, wherever you may be, just to breathe his precious name and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, and even speak your love to him. Lord Jesus, I love you. 1 Corinthians 12 says the way to enjoy him as the Spirit is to call on his name. Then he becomes your grace. He becomes your salvation. All these terms are interchangeable. That's just the triune God as the wonderful Spirit being experienced and enjoyed by us. Paul was not in prison moaning and groaning, neither was he there silently, but he was rejoicing in the Lord. He was praising the Lord. He was calling on the Lord, not for deliverance, but to enjoy him as his inward supply so that he would not be put to shame. It says in verse 20 that his expectation was he would not be put to shame. 
under any circumstances. To be put to shame is to be found in these unpleasant circumstances and environments and not rejoicing in the Lord. You're just in your miserable self. Chris and I also have to testify. We've had that kind of experience where we got put to shame. But thank the Lord, we can repent, and we can come back to this wonderful Christ who's within us as the all-supplying, all-sufficient spirit within our spirit to be our grace and our salvation. But we need to exercise our spirit calling on his wonderful name. Lord Jesus, I love you. You'll realize you may not get saved out of the environment, but you'll be saved in the environment and experience Christ. A couple of things you said, Dick, I'd like to uh, just dwell on for a moment. Uh, Paul's prayer here was not necessarily that he would be delivered. He wasn't praying for a spirit of deliverance. He was praying for a supplying, an abounding spirit, wasn't he? He was. And the result of his enjoying this abounding spirit, this wonderful, bountiful supply, was that he lived and magnified Christ. The result of his being in prison is Christ was testified, and even some in that prison got saved. May this be our experience, not just trying to escape all the time, but rather enjoying Christ in the very circumstance that we're in, that Christ might be lived and testified. Yeah, we touched in a program a day or two ago, this matter, Paul said, I have learned the secret, uh, both to be abased and to abound. And this is really what we're talking about, not just trying to exercise faith to be removed from the unpleasant situation, but to experience Christ. This is a secret we all need to learn, regardless of what situation we're in. Amen. Well, Dick, we have about a minute left. I want to take that time, if I could, and point out something new to our listeners. Uh, We mentioned it, uh, oh, maybe a week ago, but I'll come back to it. Uh, Each month we produce a newsletter here in the radio section at Living Stream Ministry called The Hearing of Faith. And if you have contacted us before, either by email or by calling in or by writing to us, you have been receiving that uh, monthly newsletter. For those of you who haven't or maybe have only been receiving it for a short time, we've now taken all of the past issues, that's two years' worth, of previous issues of the Hearing of Faith newsletter and put them on our radio website located at www.lsm.org radio. And if you uh, go there, you'll find all of these previous issues of the Hearing of Faith. It's a marvelous uh, newsletter. We get so many comments. People enjoy this uh, so much. And we're very, very happy to be able to have all of our past issues now available on the website. So we encourage you to check out these past issues. In each issue, we have an article entitled, What Is? And we use that What Is? article to help define or develop new terms and thoughts that perhaps our listeners have not been familiar with that are commonly used in our ministry, such as God's economy and God's eternal purpose and grace and and maybe the bountiful supply of the Spirit. Uh, You'll see articles on all of these things and several other very interesting and enjoyable features. It's short and not heavy reading. So once again, we will point out that's available at our website, www.lsm.org, and then slash radio, uh, and look for The Hearing of Faith. In addition, of course, all of our previous archive programs are there, and they're organized by books as we've covered them. So you can download and listen to any of those programs at your leisure. We would like to point out as well, we always want your phone calls, and uh, you're taking the time to contact us means a great deal to us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. So if you've heard something that you were intrigued by and would like to find out more about or would like uh, written information, just give us a call. Once again, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. 
We'll be back tomorrow for another life study of the Bible. For Dick Taylor, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. God views the church, the redeemed believers, from a heavenly perspective. Far from seeing her as defeated by the power of sin and sins, God views the church as the triumphant and glorious counterpart of Christ, who fully expresses the one who fills all in all. In The Glorious Church, Watchman Nee discusses four significant representations of the church in the Bible. Eve in Genesis chapter 2, the wife in Ephesians 5, the woman in Revelation 12, and the bride in Revelation 21 and 22. In each instance, he presents the church's high calling to fulfill God's eternal purpose. Recently discovered handwritten notes supplement this new and fresh translation of the glorious church, making it the most complete record of the messages given by Watchman Nee in the fall of 1939 and the fall of 1942. The appendix the Overcomers and God's Dispensational Moves is a significant never-before-published portion of these notes. The Glorious Church by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available now at Christian bookstores or call 1-888-543-3788. That number again is 1-888-543-3788. To get your copy of The Glorious Church or a free catalog of Living Stream Ministry publications, call today, toll-free, 1-888-543-3788.